podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first. Search Fan Hub app to play your part in the journey. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 86 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast in association with Fan Hub, where the fans come first, and our local business partner, Vici Clo. Uh, Lee, Lee this week is uh, doing some dry ski slope skiing down Mount Pleasant, so we... Uh, he, he can't make it, so we brought in our our usual uh, replacements in El Pivote. Andy, how are you getting on, mate? I'm good, thank you. I, I, I don't mind being the replacements. It's, it's it's a common common job these days now. But the golf golf yeah. season back as well. And uh, he's he's playing golf most days. He's always then he, then he's doing then he's playing tennis. Um, I think it's a bit of a midlife crisis to be perfectly honest, but we won't yeah, go into it. Who he votes for as well? But there you go. <laughs> Well, exactly right, exactly right. Well, we'll leave the politics for, for this week, but great to have you on the show, as you know, you're always always welcome to step into his issues, to be honest. Um, but we've we've left it a, a good a good few days um, since we last we last spoke. We got together last weekend before the, the Palace game, and we were just saying before the, these Monday night games throw our schedule right off. Um, but I think it's in this on this occasion, it's been quite good to. To sit back and just reflect a little bit over the past few days because it's it's fair to say, Andy, we just said then heads massively fell off after the uh, the late equaliser that was conceded. Yeah, we've got a, quite a reactionary fan base, really, and you know, as someone who used to be fairly reactionary in his younger younger days, I think you know, and it's, it's understandable, I guess, at times. It's just, I guess, this, my only issue is, I think there's, there's lack of perspective sometimes, and I think obviously the emotion gets to people, and I think football when you make make judgments, decisions, wherever in football, on, on basic emotion, you're going to end up you're going down the wrong path sometimes. And I think, you know, there's obviously, there's been a, we'll, we'll get on to it in, in another section, but there's been a, a tr- the trial of Donald Calvert-Lewin this week on, on, on Twitter. And yeah, I think it's, a, you know, at the end of the day, Everton, you know, had chances to win the game. They didn't take them. We drew. That's football sometimes, I think. It'd be a different story if, you know, we, you know, Palace dominated the game and, you know, we, you know, we snatched a draw from the defeats of victory, but we didn't. We, you know, we played pretty well. You know, it was just, it just happens sometimes in football. I think, but the perspectives needed sometimes. Yeah, of course. And Pete, you know, like Andy said, then I don't think we played. We played particularly poorly, did we? I think you know it was. We've seen how we played in in recent months, where we've been quite happy to to other sides have the bulk of the ball and and look to maybe counter. If you look at the Palace game, we missed we missed a hell of a lot of chances on the day, didn't we? It's a weird one because yeah, we, we missed we missed chances that you know on a, a normal day you'd expect us to to put away all day long. We could have had four or five goals when you look at you know the, the extent of how big the chances were. But for, for me, it was a case of attacking defence. You know, but before we conceded, we looked fairly comfortable. I think dealing with. You know what what Palace had to offer. They were looking to hit us on the counter attack, and um, I thought we contained Zaha really well. Uh, I thought you know as usual Coleman did a really good job, but it was going forward in possession. We just didn't seem to have a, a again like a style of play or a method of trying to break Palace down. And I think when the, the reason I don't like the sort of the five three two, if you like, it, is you have to play direct. And if you look at a lot of our big chances. They came from, you know, from long balls or quick transitions from the back forward. And I think when that happens, you have to take the chances because you're not going to get that many of them. And it was probably because we were playing Crystal Palace, we got as many big chances as we did. But you run out of options quite quickly. And I think that's why it works against the bigger teams who are looking to attack. You know, it makes them vulnerable to the counter-attack. But again, it was always that case of the first, um, not the first goal, but... Yeah, it, it was just a, it was an odd game, and it was the type of performance that I think a lot of Evertonians had sort of hoped we got out of our system. Really, you know, it, it was an important game. I think everybody knew it was a must-win game, and the pundits were saying it was a must-win game. 
So it's really disappointing that we sort of we go out sometimes with a bit of a limp, and I, and I think that's I think that's the outrage or the insult. I think you know you want your team to go if if you're going to go out or you're going to lose a game like that, you want to go out fighting. Um, so yeah, I mean the pressure's on now for the rest of the games. I know we're going to come on to Brighton and the rest of the running, but it's looking like a an uphill task, isn't it? I think that's where the frustration of the, the fans is coming from, to be honest with you, because in, in recent weeks, pre-international break and obviously the, the, the Palace game, how many times have we said, you know, win this, this massively massively important this game, win this game, push on, push the top four, you know, we could have, we could have been, we, we knew, you know, two games and we could have been in the top four, we win both those games. We keep on saying the same thing and we keep on coming away with either a defeat or in, in the case against Palace, a draw that should have been a win. And, and I think, Andy, that's where a lot of the frustration does come from. So when, when we see the reactions that we saw on Monday night and, and into Tuesday and so on, um, the time of the goal, one, is probably the one reason, first reason for But secondly, it's it's the fact that we, we just haven't got that uh, that consistency to, to win the games that we should be winning. No, and the, the, a lot of this comes down to obviously the, the, the squad, and you know I think you know, Carlo Ancelotti is doing his is doing his best. You know I, I understand Pete's concerns, and I've got similar concerns over style of play. We don't really haven't you know started building what would be your team as Everton's way yet, and we I think we probably might Carlo might need better players for that. But the, the issue I think you know the issue with Everton you know to go back I think Everton are a very mismatched squad with a, a squad of different managers, different styles, different systems with the players, and I think you know without an overarching plan I think that's what you end up with, and I think. Without our best players, you know, you know, Alan, Alan, Alan didn't play. Uh, Decorey's obviously out injured. Uh, Godfrey wasn't fit to start. I think, I think we lose a bit there, especially in, obviously in midfield and, and carrying the ball out from the back. I, th- I, th- I think, yeah, I can understand the fa- the fans' frustration because obviously this season, some obviously people will say we missed a big chance. You know, this was the season we had the big chance. I think we are where we where we probably we are in terms of ability. I think yes, we probably did have chances. You know, Newcastle turned us over twice, but you know it. It's I think it, the squad is just it, it, you have to right the wrongs of those sort of that mess before we can get onto that even keel. And I think that's why I think Carlos you know will get a lot more time than you know a Marco Silva or a Ron Coombe, also due to his obviously his reputation. But I just think that you know this season, I think we still got a hell of a chance to get in Europe. There's not what nine games left, twenty seven points on offer. Still a lot of points to play for. Don't be wrong, as Pete said, it is going to be tough. You know, we, we've, we haven't won in three now in the Premier League, so the form has been up and down since the new year. But yeah, I, overall, I think we are where we are, and I think Carl needs better players. I think I would like to see. I have to say, I would like to see us better on the ball, moving through the through the, third, through the thirds. Now maybe Carlo doesn't feel he has the players to do it, but I, I, I think sometimes you've got to trust players to, and allow them to play. Sometimes I think we're quite restrictive in in, in the way we play currently, and I think obviously you know, there's obviously it's trust of the, of the back end that we haven't got pace at the back without Godfrey. And, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of you know machinations going on. I guess with the managers thinking, but overall I can understand the fans' frustration, but also I don't think we need to. Have a memorandum on every player who we blame for the results every time we lose or draw, as it may be. Mm. I mean, you mentioned trust there. We always talk about trust on the show and, and feel that Carl doesn't trust the probably some well, probably the bulk of the players that he's got. To be perfectly honest, um, and do we think that that's that's the main reason as to why you know we're not playing maybe to to the full, to our full potential? I mean, you mentioned obviously as well the injuries you've got and had in centre midfield has forced his hands to go to this five-three-two. Um, but do you do you think Andy that trust is the biggest issue that, that we've got or Carlo's got with the squad at the moment? Yeah, I think it is. Obviously, Carlo as well has come from a lot of teams. You know, you know, he's obviously with managed by and he's managed Milan. These all are great players, Real Madrid. And, you know, it's obviously a bit, you know, somewhat of a reality check for Carlos come to Everton, where the squad is and they've got It isn't as complete as those sides. So it is about him evolving as well as us evolving as a team. He obviously will get the better and get will get the best out of the players. But yes, I think the tr- the trust is a massive issue. I think he, I think he sees holes in the team, he, uh, which is I think why you know there's rumours he was he wants a cooler barley type because. Although Michael Keane and, and Yeri Mina are good centre backs, and even you know Ben Godfrey as well, 
they're not players who can play out from the back and build attacks. You know, that, you know that's the key thing when he was at Napoli, when he came into Napoli. Sarri had built a side that was really comfortable breaking the press and playing out from the back. And obviously Carlo in his early games had ever wanted to play out from the back, but I think he's realised that we just haven't got the horses to be able to do that. And I think when he hasn't got those building blocks and then in midfield, apart from Hammers, you don't really have many play- players who can break the ball into the final third or do find players in space consistently. Yeah, I guess it is. That is an issue. Now, people will go, oh, well, why have we signed this player and that player? Obviously, at the time, the managers wanted the players we signed, and you've got to look at it like that sometimes rather than, oh, they should have seen this coming. You can't always see things like this coming when you change managers so consistently. I think that's been Everton's issue, and I think we now need an even keel a couple of years, and maybe we have to take you know we take things take things as they come. I think you know it's not going to be a quick fix overall. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that it, it, it really is, and like you say, quite clearly, Carla will be given a lot more time than, than previous managers, and, and rightly so. Like you say, the the consistency that we need both on and off the pitch is mm-hmm. massively important to our progression. And I totally, you know, he, he deserves it. The man should have time. There's, there should be no question. I mean, you, you see silly comments about, you know, he's got to go and this, that, and the other. It's just ridiculous. You know, Carlo Ancelotti will be here hopefully for a good, a good couple of years, uh, two or three years yet. Um, but if we, if we can just jump, jump back into the game, Pete, we're going to discuss Dominic Calvert-Lewin in a little bit more detail shortly. Um, obviously, he had a few chances on the day, but one player who also had a number of chances on the day and also caused a bit of a bit of a rift between himself and, and two or three other players uh, over a free kick was Richarlison. Um, what were your thoughts on him, Pete? Because some people don't mind seeing seeing that Richarlison quite clearly wanted to take the free kick because he'd missed a couple of chances. Wants to take the responsibility, you could argue, to, to score to score a goal. Other people see it as selfish and not being a team player, and you know it's not a good look. What What are your thoughts on how that played out, Pete? Well, look, it comes from a good place, doesn't it? You know, first first and foremost, he was frustrated that he um, that he, you know I think he missed that chance in particular uh, where he sort of cut in and we, he would normally just sort of bend it into the corner. But I think if you if you take the ball. Um, you know, off sort of technical players who would normally take a free kick, you've got to take a really good free kick. <laughs> it's either yeah. got to go in the top in, or you know, you've got to hit the target. And he didn't take a good free kick, and I think obviously that's you know that's where the frustration comes in. Um, so yeah, no, ultimately it comes from a really positive place, doesn't he? You know, he's he's an aggressive player. He wants to win. He was probably more frustrated than anybody with his own performance, and that I think the same can probably be said of Calvert Lewin. Um, yeah, and I, I think like you lads, I, I dislike this, you know, looking for a fall guy every time we get beat and sort of certain players taking in turns, don't they? You know, some, it's Tom Davies to Awobi to Calvert-Lewin to Pickford. Um, you know, ultimately there's 11 players on the pitch. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, I feel for him. I'm sure he'll bounce back and he, he tends to like a, a goal against Brighton. So, fingers crossed he, he makes amends for it. Yeah. Do you think it was? Do you agree, Andy, with that in terms of you know Pete's quite quite positive about the whole thing, really, in terms of he sees it's coming from a good place with Richarlison. He's obviously hungry to score. Do you, do you see it that way, or do you see it more of the, the old Kevin Morales taking the taking the ball uh, and and taking a penalty against Stoke? You know, I don't mind players you know wanting to you know wanting to be you know be, wanting to get Everton on the front foot or wanting to you know, take responsibility you know Gilfie Sigurdsson's had enough chance to score free kicks for Everton now we you know he just hasn't done it really has he no the, and Richardson missed the, missed the target it wasn't a bad effort to be fair actually in the end at least they've been at the wall or go miles over the bar to be fair to but no I've got no problem I think I think that the you know the, the overall issue is whenever you fall and I think a lot of people love Richardson obviously you know he's very infectious as a player you know his work race and off the pitch obviously like he loves winding up you know them over the road but I think if it were, if it was a Kevin Mellis type character, Richarlison would have been chastised for it because I think he's so liked. I think he can get away with things like that. I think a lot of personal like comes, you know, if it was a Wobie or Tom Davis who did that, you know, you know, be crucified, wouldn't they really? Let's be honest, that, that you know, Wobie had to say his preferred position, and that it, it was all all sorts of machinations <laughs> over that. But that's that's Evertonians, and that's that's fandom, I guess. But no, I, I didn't mind particularly with Charleston doing that. Don't be wrong, obviously, you really want Hammers Rodriguez taking those, but it was it was it was better for the right footer in that situation, and he nearly he nearly hit the target. I've got no problem with it at all, really. Small instance in the game. Yeah, it was. It was. I, th- I think obviously, if we, if we win the game, you probably don't even look back on that on an instance. To be honest with you, it's just absolutely it's, it's a nothing incident. But 
obviously with what happened and with us obviously losing a couple of points in season late on, we always signed up back at these incidents, don't we? And uh, look at them under under a microscope. Um, but one thing I want to I want to ask about and bring up is is the substitutes on the day. Um, obviously there was one and four change with Andre Gomez picking up an injury, so uh, Sigurdsson comes on. We then saw we saw Ben Godfrey come on for Seamus Coleman, who had a very very good game. As Pete said, you know he, he tends to to marshal Wilfred Zaha very well uh, over the years, and and I thought he had one of his better games of the season yet again from Seamus Coleman. Uh, now he he had played three full internationals for Ireland, which was just ridiculous in the uh, in the international break. So that probably explains why he, he ran out of legs potentially. And obviously we saw that they returned a long-awaited return and a welcome return of uh, Jean-Philippe Gabamin, uh, which was fantastic for Hamas Rodriguez late on. But what do you think, Pete, about those changes? Obviously, Andre Gomez aside, would you prefer Carlo just to have gone right? What we've got here, that was his attitude. What we have, we hold. We're one nil up. Let's try and see the game out. Do you think it was right to, to make those changes? And more specifically, and as much as I was delighted to see him back on the pitch, after, you know, a horrendous 18 months for him. Do you think it was right to put Gabamon on with his only one nil up with, with 10 minutes to go? Well, I mean, for, for me, the, the most surprising change was Coleman. I, I thought he'd been outstanding. So unless he'd had a knock or a little injury or he was looking a bit leggy. But I, I think to put Ben Godfrey there, you know, to, to come off, not be, not be in the pace of the game. I know it wasn't a particularly fast-paced game, but for the defenders, you know, when you've got sort of... Um, You've got Zaha who can play anywhere across the line. He's looking for weakness. You know, and he's looking for someone that's, you know, not not quite sort of um, you know, up, up to the pace and he looks to sort of pull you in and drag you in. And I suppose you you think as good as Ben Godfrey is when you look at his strengths, it you know, it might not be sort of up close mobile defending against the tricky winger. So I I thought he was put in a really difficult position, really. Um and Zaha sort of pulled him all over the place and um, Van Aanholt obviously started being really aggressive up that side as well. Uh, so not necessarily saying it was a mis- it was a mistake because what do I know? But it, I was surprised to see Coleman go off, and I think ultimately that change probably did play a role in us conceding the goal. Uh, in terms of Gabamin, I, I was chuffed to see him come on. I, you know when he came on, I, I thought it's just such a shame fans aren't there because he would have got such a reception. Um, it, it was, you know, it was really it was great to see him come on and, uh, and and get some game time. But I think ultimately, again, it's about that quality of players and trusting the players. I mean, we've got Josh King on the bench there, and I think for me, it's the biggest statement of how he's seen the fact that you know we bring on so two central players, um, you know, and change our right back in a game where we're probably screaming out for a bit of width. Um, you know, whether we're one 0 up or not. You know, you, you want someone to get high up the pitch and run with the ball and keep the the sort of wide players pegged back. So the fact that he wasn't able to come on and get some minutes, you know, when you know we're crying out for some uh, some width and some balance, particularly on that right hand side, I I think says um, says an awful lot about he's probably not going to be with us at the end of the season, which is really strange because I think when we signed him in the window, we're all saying it seems like a pretty shrewd. Signing really, and whenever he's played against us, he's he's normally had a blinder. Mm. So it's it's a strange one, um, but I, I think ultimately it's about limited players. I, I think if if Carlo would have had more options on the bench, I don't think he would have made the changes he did. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, on Josh King, just just to to jump in about about him, Carlo was asked yesterday uh, in his press conference about him, and he said the unfortunate thing about Josh King is because I've had to revert to that to change our style of play or formation to 5-3-2, it takes away basically one of the, the wider positions if you like that he can actually play in. So effectively, if he's going to come on, he's coming on for Richardson or Calvert-Lewin and that's it. You know, yeah, he can play wide, but if we're playing a five, if you like, he can't. He won't come on for a Luca Dean okay. or... Hang on, hang on. A... <laughs> so what, what I want to ask you both is, don't kid a kidder. Do you believe that? Do the two of you believe that? Hang on. Do you believe it, it was because you wanted to stick with the five three two? Why didn't bring him on? No, I, I think Carlo, you know, is is concerned about his work rate off the ball. I, th- I think that would be the main thing, and I think that that goes down to trust again. I think, obviously, if you bring Donald Carver and Richardson, they work so hard off, you know, off the ball. I think, you know, that's that's the issue with Josh King, and I think, 
you know, going back to January, I, I, this is what we are. <laughs> this is what I always say in January. It's very rare these January signs come in and score, you know, and set the world on fire. Some do. Some, 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 some do. Look, Jesse Lingard, he's done really well, you know, for the West Ham. Some do, but the majority don't, and especially strikers, because it's very hard, especially Josh King, who, let's be honest, wasn't fit when he was at ball because he tried to force a move in the summer. And it's not worked out, and he's found it very hard to get up to speed. And I think now he is up to speed. It's, we're getting towards the end of the season. The manager's got this trust, and he believes to finish games off for him, and, he, and he's just not there. And now, maybe he can earn himself a contract because Everton don't want to go out and spend money in the summer on a, on a backup striker, because obviously we've got first-team priorities, really, in, in upgrading. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. He may not, let's be honest. On the subs... Carlo and Schlossi can be wrong. This is what Evertonians have to, have to sort of accept. You can say, oh, Carlo got stuff wrong, or, you know, and it doesn't mean we want him out because obviously we don't. I think every manager, no, no manager's perfect. Alex Ferguson signed the Jemba Jemba, Cleberson, and, and Bebe. You know, people get to make, people make mistakes at the end of the day. I wouldn't have brought Cabamon on in a game where you're 1 0 up and you're chasing Europe when he's that rusty. I, I wouldn't, that personally. I'm not a Champions League winner manager, so what do I know again, of course? But no, I, I think that was. That was don't be wrong. I think Hammers probably needs to come off because you've got to protect them for these last what nine or ten games. But it's and Coleman again. I think Carlos scared of losing the right back. I think Coleman gives us a balance that we really don't have when he's not playing again. So I think you we were trying to save the injuries. Godfrey, you know, at the end of the day, he's played well for Everton so far. He, he didn't have his best night when he came on, but you know, I, really, what it all comes down to is I think I, you know, jinxed us really because I've been on the Batman's case for years because I think every, every, when people accuse Johnny Calvert-Lewin being the Batman Batray is that he, he doesn't do anything but score and he doesn't score that as often as people think but again, that's just that's football I guess and it, we can see that, you know, Paul goal with miscommunication from Michael Keane and Gary Meenham for the same ball and Godfrey got too high and, you know, he scored and that happens sometimes but no, I think Carlo did Get something slightly wrong with the, the substitutions. <laughs> but like you say, though, he, he can get things wrong, and at the end of the day, it's always a judgment call when it comes to yeah. whether it's a, a change of change of formation, substitutes that you make on the day, you know, change of personnel. That, that that's the that's what he gets paid for. And at the end of the day, it doesn't always come off, you know. When Gabama, it surprised me because he mentioned Gabama before the the start of the game and said, you know, he's going to look to try and give a minute if he can and. That that that's great, and we all thought well, if we're two or three up with about ten minutes to go, throw throw the kid on and, and give him give him ten ten fifteen minutes or so. But I think we, there was a few eyebrows raised at that substitution at that particular time in the game when it's only one nil. I mean, there's no I'm, I'm not a portion any kind of blame to to Gabamon at all for the goal, but it was just strange when someone's been out for eighteen months to actually be thrown on at that particular time. But like you say, we can we, we are allowed to say that we can throw a bit of criticism if we need to. Carlo's way and say he got something wrong because everyone gets things wrong. That's the nature of football. And someone who got things wrong for for most fans um, during the game, which it brings us nicely onto this this particular section, is Dominic Calvert Lewin. Now Dominic Calvert Lewin this season has scored 19 goals in all competitions. If you want to include international goals, which I don't really, I don't really follow England to be honest. But he, he scored, he scored for, he scored for for England, which is great for him on a personal note. Um, so on, on the day uh, Dominic Cavalier against Crystal Palace it's fair to say he had a, a few clear-cut chances big chances both him and Richardson had big chances on the day and during the game and after the game I mean as, as a three we, we did our group chat we obviously we were bringing up we were saying how big the chances were we can't afford to miss them you know and then when we eventually got the goal through through Hammers Rodriguez obviously del- delighted by that um, I'm sure both Richardson and Calvert Lewin felt a lot better the fact that we 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 went ahead. Um, but post match, Dominic Calvert Lewin got a hell of a lot of stick. Um, and like we've already said, we always look for for a four guy. Um, this week it was it was his turn. And and the you put out a fantastic graphic um, yesterday, the day before, um, from Market Insights which highlights all of, of Dominic Calvert-Lewin's stats over the course of, of this particular this particular season. And it's, I'll, I'll you know, anyone who wants to look at it, we, we put out yesterday, we tweeted it, Andy, it's on your, your page as well. It's, mm. it's, it's a really good thing to look at. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you put it out there to say to people, just sort of lay off them a little bit. 
and look at the bigger picture as opposed to just one game isolation. I find this 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 is one of my biggest bugbears at the moment with Ever- Evertonians. Is this the the criticism of Dominic Calvert Lewin? I think. I think some of the, some didn't like him anyway. I think from previous years, and what happens is some people can't just go, "All right, I was wrong. Let's you know, you know, I'm going to support him." I think people have to sort of say, "I'm still right," and there's agendas. And I, I don't know. I, you know, I've got me wrong. I've always backed on. I think whether it, you know, I didn't expect him to speak become this good in terms of goal scoring. I'll be honest, I never did. But I always thought he was someone who put himself about, and if he was going to be our backup striker, the grace, you know, you need someone who can be able to do that. But you know, the last two seasons, he scored what twenty seven goals now. Uh, in the pre- in the Premier League in the last two seasons, and obviously we've got more games to go. I, I, you know, I, we'll, we'll get to the stats in a second, but I, I think I, I wonder what, what more Everton fans want. I see people mentioning Harry Kane. Everton can't get players of Harry Kane's level. Not now, maybe in a couple of years, and we'll maybe we'll have someone to fight it out with Dom for the number nine spot. But not now. I don't ever want to say Dominic Calvert Lewin is the best Everton get because I'm not I'm not going to you know say that, but. He's one of the best strikers in the Premier League this season, you know. You know, and this is available. Forget the graph that I put out because obviously that that's from my company. It's obviously a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of information for people to take in. But if you go on the BBC website, put Premier League top goal scorer, and you can see the conversion rates of all the strikers. Now, Dominic Calvert Lewin currently has a conversion rate of twenty five percent, which means one in every four shots that he gets on target, he's putting in the back of the net. Everyone's favourite, Gary Kane, 22%, which is less than Dom. He takes many more shots than Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So Dominic Calvert-Lewin is converting at a higher rate. So people say he never scores one-on-ones, he can't score from outside the box. That may be true. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you know, don't be wrong, has still got a lot of development to do as an all-round striker. However, he's still converting at a higher rate than Bamford, Vardy, Watkins, all these players that people seem to want over him. And don't be wrong, he can, he can improve his, you know, his creative, creative side of his game. But again, if you look at the graph that brought, you know, final third pass accuracy, that which is basically where he receives the ball, holds it up and lays it off. Again, excellent. And I, I, you know, I've, I could say I could go on for an hour here, but I have to. I don't know what you guys think, but I just think that some perspectives needed, and sometimes people pick players apart far too much when actually they're really important. And the and the main stat I'm going to give you now is Dominic Calvert Lewin's goals have gained the most points. This season, the Premier League of any player, 14 goals have got 14 points forever. And we would be in close to the relegation battle without those goals. Now, someone said on Twitter, well, the average striker could have scored those goals. Is Shea Adams really going to shoot Everton you know, close to the top six? I don't think so. So be, be serious. Come on. What are your thoughts, Pete, on the on the outcry? Obviously, listen to what Andy's saying there. Totally spot on. Um, and my, my thing with Calvert Lewin is, we, and we've discussed him at length at various points this season, is if you, it's all well and good saying, like Andy's saying, any average striker, people say any average striker could score those goals. It's all in the movement and it's all in, you know, getting into, into the space, the time of the run, you know, the football and brain, which he's, he's developed, I think, more than anything else in the last probably 12 or 18 months under Ancelotti. You know, but, but what, what are your thoughts on, on the outcry? After the game, it clearly wasn't justified, was it? Well, look, number one, it, it's a cliche, isn't it? But you know, you always have to say a striker has to be in the position to miss them. You've got to do everything right to miss them. So I think that's that's the you know the first point and that goes without saying. But I, I think the interesting thing about Calvert Lewin for me is I think he's technically a really excellent football player, and one of the reasons I think sometimes people get outraged or, you know, sort of levy these accusations that he's not good enough or he's average, is I think sometimes some of the chances he misses are the types of opportunities that, you know, someone that's been trained to play as a striker would probably put away. So that, you know, the first one-on-one, that sort of long ball through from Holgate, I think a lot of fans will look at that and think, you know, you coach day in, day out on where to sort of play that ball. And I wonder sometimes for Dom, when he's almost got a little bit too much time to sort of pick his spot and it's less instinctive, he can make the wrong decision sometimes. I think if you're whipping balls into the box, I want Calvert-Lewin in there on the end of it all day long because I think he's, he's technically really good. I think like Andy said, his conversion rate's excellent. He'll put them away. But I just think every now and then he has a little bit too much time. He tries to make a decision and it doesn't quite come off. And I think there, the, the chances that almost get highlighted and become part of a highlight really shouldn't have really. And then people jump on the back of it and think, well, yeah, you know, Harry Kane or a top, top striker 
would score that and that's what Everton don't have and that's what we're needing. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of truth in that, but he's so young. He's, you know, he's still developing and hopefully, you know, let's let, let's not destroy him. Let's continue to coach him and support him. And again, he's got the number nine shirt and that counts for a lot at Everton. Um, and when he scores, he's he's loved. And, we, you know, we need to back him when he has a, a difficult game and hopefully like Richarlison, he'll, he'll bounce back against Brighton. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's something about decision-making and that certain chances get highlighted. And I think sometimes, you have fans struggle to have a bit of perspective, I think, when chances look easy, when really they're not. Mm-hmm. I think I think sometimes I think with with strikers especially, fans always compare them to the likes of the Brazilian Ronaldo, for example, who was a you know a once in a lifetime talent. You know, he's just an exceptional player. Wayne Rooney, obviously, we saw him first time as a young kid. Though that kind of quality of player, you know, you can't compare every single player that you've got, especially as a, as a striker, to the the top players in that position over the last, say, 15, 20 years. You just can't do it because they, they were special, special talents. The point with Calvin Lewis is, if we look at where he was 18 months, two years ago, you would have been laughed at if you would have said, he's going to bag, bag 20 goals next season. Everyone, whatever, yeah. there's no He's not going to get over, say, 10 or 12, whatever it might be. The kid's one goal away from getting 20 goals in, in you know, a, a half-decent season. But, you know, a season when we've said already, Maybe we could have done better. Maybe we were at the level that we should be. Um, but to score, you know, 19, 20 goals in this side, I think is 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 very, very good. And one question I want to ask you, Andy, is the, the two major chances that he missed against Palace, there was one where Holly played a fantastic ball uh, from the back right through, which, which we all missed because Skyway was showing us a replay. Yeah. Um, but it was a great, great ball through. Calvert-Lewin obviously is eye-to-eye with the goalkeeper. Like Pete said, maybe a bit too much thinking time, and he's just hit it right at the keeper, dead, dead straight, and obviously it's saved. And the second one in the second half, where he's being slipped in again, and he was almost waiting for it to come across his body a bit more to open it, open himself up a little bit to to maybe slide it in, and again the keeper saved it. In those situations, Andy, where he has got quite a bit of time, do we do you think that that can that can be taught to for a player who, you know? If you look back at where you know where he started his career in centre midfield, and he, he wasn't probably a, nat- a natural striker, do you think that that can come? Do you think that can be taught, or do you think that's something that he's going to really struggle to to work on and get better at? Um, I could say yes, and I could say no. It's very difficult to know that that ice in your veins striker thing is. It, you know, it, it sometimes is a natural ability. You know. Some players can go on and score a lot of goals who haven't got, you know, haven't got that ability. I think, I think that the key with Dom, I think the major thing is he's probably one of the hardest workers ever. They've got people you've got to understand that this is this is a lad who works on his craft. Duncan Ferguson and spend a lot of time together working, you know, on becoming a, a better player, which some players at Everton don't didn't or don't do as much. So I think he's always going to work on his craft. His movement is excellent. You know, he's always found getting separation from his markers, which is key. I think if the service had been better at times this season, he would have more goals. Even I think there was a period where we weren't getting crosses into the box now if he was you know this all-round player who could do everything he wouldn't be an Everton he'd be at Real Madrid Barcelona or whatever so there's got to be some perspective there I agree he does need to get better and say that a faster scheme taking the Everton and Dominic Calvert and fan hats off I always say to people back to goal Dom is really great great holding the ball up facing defenders 1v1 running with the ball at defenders not so great. That's that's part of his game that really does need to get better decision making and you know creating those angles where he can get shots off as well. That's that's the next evolution, Dominic Alvaloon. I think you know my biggest issue out of all of this is if you you know if it if the biggest issue in the side is your top goal scorer and the person who's getting you the most points is the rest of the side Galacticos. I, I just don't think it is. I think you've got to have some perspective. Unless he's the biggest problem in the team, and the day that he is the biggest problem in the team, then yes, replace him. But until he's the biggest problem or the biggest issue in the team, then why do we have to always like bring, try and bring him down? Don't be wrong, he could be better, yes. And I think Everton's fan, fans' patience are running short. And goals do win games, of course. And obviously, we didn't score enough goals tonight to win the game. But I think we just need a bit of perspective sometimes. The, lad, the lad's come on a lot over the last couple of years. And he, he will improve. Will he, will, will he become a top European striker? Maybe, maybe not. But if he's a very good Premier League striker and he's one of our two strikers, because eventually we will sign another, you know, another striker when we get, you know, start playing Champions League football with them. Then what's what's the issue? What, are Everton in a bad situation? Then no, I think 
I think people need to be a bit careful in that in, in the criticism really of him because if he went if he went elsewhere, we'd be crying for four years like we were with Lukaku while trying to replace him. And he's not Lukaku. Let's be honest, Lukaku is a is is a better player currently. Lukaku's four years older than Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Harry Kane's four years older. It's, sometimes you shouldn't compare players who are pre-peak or early peak to players like Ronaldo, Messi, or now you know players who've done it all. It, it, it's it, you need to wait sometimes to compare them because they haven't developed as much. So I think Everton fans just need to rein it in a bit. Really, I'm going to be honest. And then, on that point as well about, about Lukaku, that's one thing that that really really gets on my nerves, and I. I was I was going to tweet something the other day and I didn't. I just you know one of those things where you delete tweets, you, you write something and you delete it, don't you? And you just like I'll leave, leave it, and, you know, because you got to be got to be so careful. And when people when something doesn't go right or play as a as a bad game, and obviously Calvert Lewin was the four guy against against Crystal Palace, and people always go back to and look at former players or former players in that position. And oh, Lukaku wouldn't have missed that. And well, Lukaku was not an Everton player. Lukaku didn't want to be an Everton player. And he moved on, and we got big money, and, and everyone's happy. And you, you can't, you can't always just go back. You know, it's like so oh, Kinsella's because he would have been great in that position there. You know, well, yeah, you know, twenty five years ago, you know, with people just need to sort of we we should be a forward thinking club. We, we we're all looking forward to, you know, this this move to Bramley Moore, which is massive. You know, we, you can we're on the right path as a club now. We should be looking totally forward and not looking back at what's come before. You know, when. And when people do that, it massively, massively wires me up. We all know Lukaku, you know, is a, is a very, very good striker. For us, he was a good striker. But, like I said, it doesn't help any situation to go back and, and look at older players. Do people remember what people used to say about Lukaku when he played at Everton? People always oh, had a bad mm. first touch, he can't do this, he can't do that. Yeah. And now, obviously, you know, you know, I suppose it's, you know, you know, whatever they say, you know, better, better, better than the, the devil, you know, I guess. Now he's this player who's the best striker we ever had. And don't be wrong, he probably is the best striker I've ever seen in Everton. Some weird people say, yeah, Yakubu was good, but not, not Rob's level, let's be honest. But no, I think I think you're right. I think you've, there's got to be some perspective sometimes. Enjoy what Dominic Calvert-Lewin's doing. Yes, he'll make mistakes. He'll miss chances, strikers do. Someone put a stat up today about missing big chances. I think he's missed 15 this season. And as I said, Salah missed you know, 23 the other year. Aubameyang missed 23. Players miss big chances. Strikers miss chances. Someone said, you know, oh, Drogba, Henry and, and, and uh, Aguero just needed one chance to score. Well, there's 90 games where Sergio Aguero didn't score for Man City. So that's not true, is it really? So you've got this, you've got to, I think sometimes you've got to just think about these things before you overreact sometimes. As you can say, I'm quite passionate about the subject. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, t- totally agree, and and you know, I'm sure the vast majority of people are guilty of that knee jerk, that knee jerk reaction, and that's why I think it helps just to sit back and take a few days before before looking back on on these kind of things. But you know, Dom's Dom's going to reach his 20 goal target this season. Unsurprised if he gets to 25. Obviously, need needs to pick up his, his form a little bit. Um, but do do you think you mentioned obviously Josh King and um, in the summer, our money is probably going to go elsewhere as opposed to on a on a, a secondary strike, if you like. But do, do you think it would be Josh King who, who comes in, or do, do you think we're going to get sort of luck, maybe for a little low, maybe somewhere to for a backup striker? I've been, I'm interested to see what happens. That's that's one thing that I, I you know I can't predict. I think obviously we we you know we'd like more goals off the bench. We, we definitely need. I think obviously it's well known that Moise Keane is probably going to go to probably Paris Saint Germain or you know maybe Juventus if if they find money from somewhere. But it's hard to tell. Obviously we've been linked with different players from the Championship like Adam Armstrong at Blackburn, who's a pretty good player. Obviously, we need that. There's something different off the bench, but as as you say, we if we had a right back who's creating chances, Max Aaron's obviously has been mentioned, and others. If we had a a, another midfielder who could create chances, a winger coming in and create chances, then wouldn't Dom have more chances to score? Some might say more chances to misses, of course, if you had the glass half full sort of person. But no, I think so. I think Dom will benefit from those 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 signs. The backup striker thing for me is if you've got a limited amount of money. Don't spend a lot of it on a backup because if you've got first team positions that really need filling, I think Gabamon hopefully will will fill partly fill one position. But then I think you know we could get rid of Delph. You know, you know, give Sigurdsson's coming to the end of his contract as well, unless he signs a new one. Gomez, we'll see. You know, Tom Davis, we'll see. You know, I think the centre midfielder would, would be nice. So 
you know, I think I think we've just got to be careful how we spend the money. You know, it, you know, it'd be all nice to spend, you know, to bring in a world class striker, but I think we've got other priorities, you know, in, 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 in before that really. Mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, as I say, how the summer window plays out and and uh, and who comes in. But Josh King's been linked to Celtic, I think I've seen uh, recently because yeah, he's going to go there. I think yeah, I think it looks like it's going to be done. So, but yeah, yeah. He, he might go there and he probably start because Edwards moved to the Premier League. So yeah, bit, again, I think Josh King. You know, I think a lot of things have gone against him. I think the manager obviously hasn't had the manager's trust. Whether they'll look at it and go, he's on a free free transfer. He scored sixteen goals in the league a couple of seasons ago. He's, he's, you know, should we give him another season or two just because we haven't got that money to bring in? That might be an option, and I will probably be fine with that overall. I don't think on a free, I think I'd rather us not go you know spend twenty million on a backup striker and then not and then not work out. So I've got no problem with that if Josh King stays as well. Interesting, interesting, interesting to see, but. We'll we'll move we'll move on from the the Dominic Calvert Lewin debate and and look ahead to to Monday Monday night another Monday night fixture absolute nightmare yet again playing Monday Friday aren't we Brighton Monday Spurs Friday um, so a quick quick turn around there but um, Brighton away Monday Pete and Brighton Brighton are a funny side for me I think they always they always promise to to sort of pull away from the relegation zone. Uh, more than they actually do, and when I've seen them, I've always thought they, they look they look alright. They got a few individually after some players. Um, I thought they give a good account of themselves against against Man United uh, last weekend as well. Um, but it's certainly not going to be a game where it's all going to go our way, is it? No, I think it's going to be a really, really tough game. And yeah, they're a strange team for me. I, I think they're a lot like that sort of Wolves team of one or two years ago, um, but without the sort of quality players. Um I don't I don't think the the squad's particularly good, but I, I really like um Graham Potter. I really like the style of football he tries to get them to play. And I think they're one of those sides that are really ingrained in a certain style and, and system playing football that all the players know really well. And what that means is some weeks they can play outstanding. Um but I think they're one of those teams that yeah that they could often dominate games and lose. Um and they've been quite suspect at the back, I think particularly earlier on in the season. They really struggled defensively. They look like they've improved that a little bit now, but I think it'll be a really, really hard game. Uh, and I, I think my worry is if Carlo feels because of the, you know, the squad and the players that he's got available, we've got to go there with the back five. I think we get beat. Mm. Um, I think probably more for the simple reason we're, we're playing sort of fitter, fresher players who know the system better. Um, and I, I think probably that ultimately decide the game. I think if we can go there with a little bit more balance. Um, particularly going forward in attack, then hopefully we, we can get something out of it. But, you know, it, it's, it's easy to say, but it's another must win, isn't it? it? You know, we have to win to stay in the European race. I think Champions League probably gone now um, when you look at the, you know, the strength of Chelsea, or, or you know, although they've had a bit of a slip up recently. Um, but yeah, hopefully we can still get into the, the Europa League places. For, for those who don't know, Andy, what, what is what is Brighton's style? You know, how, how do you think Brighton are going to set up uh, against us? Potter likes to, to you know likes to control the ball, and you know they, they like very based on movements off the ball as well. I think they're not like a Pep Guardiola because they don't have the, the same quality of player, but they like to you know move the ball through the through the lines, get, get pace, use the wing backs to sort of create overloads on the left and the right. The, you know what this is really is a matchup of maybe before the Palace game, obviously because we missed chances. This is the the most clinical or overly clinical side in the Premier League in Everton, which is why I think you know if Everton stop being clinical, we will, we will end up dropping points because this season Everton. Have overperformed massively in terms of being clinical. I think we were thirty-seven percent, which was I think seven or eight percent higher than anywhere else at the time in the league. Or, you know, sorry, eleven percent. I think it was a couple of percent higher than anywhere else in the league, which is worrying in the sense that you know I think if, if that stops, we will drop points. On the flip side, Brighton, a very profligate side, they create a lot of chances. They've actually created more quality chances than ever this season in terms of the dreaded XG stats. Um, but they just haven't got the finishes of Dominic Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison or, you know, we scored a lot of corners and free kicks as well. I think I think this is going to be an interesting game. Obviously, Everton, I think, you know, I think we can get, we can hurt them. I think we've got the players to hurt them. It's just as Pete says, I think, you know, Brighton seems to be round into some sort of, some sort of form and if they can, you know, score goals, 
you know, they could be a difficult game for us. You've know, got Trossard, McAllister, who cause teams problems. Basuma in midfield, if, if Alan's not fit, will, will give us issues as well. And, and don't get me wrong, I think Everton, realistically, you know, have got, should have enough to beat Brighton. It's just the way the way we seem to be. If we're not clinical again, if we do have start keep missing chances, we do start missing chances more regularly. I think we will start dropping more points than we did, you know, earlier on in the season where we were so clinical, and that could be an issue, really. I mean, Pete mentioned that you know we're playing five at the back, and and it could be to our detriment. I mean, do you think we are going to stick with the five at the back, or are you going to go to to a four three three or four one? Do you want to? Maybe you want to want to want to spin it. I would. I did. Uh, the issue I found is what happened was Charles obviously got those couple of games playing centre forward and scored, and I think the manager thought, oh, "Yeah, I'm going to get Charles next to Dom," and I think it's throwing us out of whack because I don't like the four-three-one-two with Hammers behind. I think it just leaves us so open and wide areas. I don't think we've got the midfielders with the legs without Decorey Allen and probably Gabamon being fit. So I, I, I would play that to go back to the four-three-three and have Hammers roaming me. I think. That, you know, give us a bit of stability in midfield. If you play five, don't be wrong, it gives Luca Dean a chance to get forward, but it also allows people to get, you know, you're going to have to play Mina. Well, I'm guessing you're going to have to play, you know, Mina and Keane together with Holgate or Godfrey. You know, I think it'd be better if you played Mina with Godfrey and Holgate either side and for defending in those wide areas. But obviously, Carlo does like Michael Keane. So it's a difficult one. I think 4 3 3 suits us better. I think this game might suit us because they want what they will want possession. We can we can allow us to sit back a bit more. I, ju- I would just prefer to see Richarlison out wide again and give us and spread teams out rather than, as Pete rightly pointed out, we tend to go a bit more direct. I don't think it works as often as we'd like, as, as it would have rather us try and you know, try and build, you know, build through the birds, really. Mm-hmm. Where does that leave? Leave Ben Godfrey then, because uh, obviously you mentioned most potentially coming in um, either side. But I always have when when I'm thinking about who's going to start the game, I'm always thinking about for me Ben Godfrey has got to start because of because of his pace. That that's my because I think I think we're, we're quite a sl- quite a slow side anyway. Yeah. So having having someone with the legs of, of Ben Godfrey really helps. But then obviously Luca Dean, one of the best left backs obviously in the Premier League, he's got to start the game as well. I always find it difficult to try and fit these plays in, you know, because Coleman as well, good game against Palace. Does he keep his place? Does Holby go go out to right back? Where where the where the what do you see the, the defense being against against Brighton? For me, and you know, whether that I'm right, I'm not again, not a Champions League winner manager. I will play Dean left back, and I'll give my license to run up and down. I will probably play. Mina and Holby is the pair at centre back. I think that gives you more balance than Mina and Keane. And I think Mina's, you know, I know this is going to be sacrilege to some people, but I think Mina's a better centre half than Michael Keane. I think Michael Keane, when he's in a specific role, is really great. I think when he's when we're defending deep, Ed's everything out, wins balls when he's defending a small space. When you ask him to do a lot more and defend in space, a bit more difficult. And I think Yeri Mina's a bit better. Don't get me wrong, Yeri Mina does have to, you know, add the off, add the off, make them up mistake. But overall, I just think he's a better defender for me. And then I'd have either, depending on what you want to do, I think if you want a bit of a threat from right back, you play Coleman, or you can do what we did last season. And we haven't seen it as much this season. And I don't know why we're in possession. The right back became the third centre half then. And then you could allow Dean to push up the pitch. But you still got those three in midfield and those three wide players to stretch teams. I'd like to see us do that again. So that would be me. Whether we do that, I don't know. I think Carlo will probably you know, stick with it. Maybe go back to the the four centre backs and maybe play Dean higher and, and keep Coleman higher up again. I don't know. I don't think he's going to go that defensive against Brighton, but it wouldn't surprise me either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's always it's always a, a massive predicament that um, for me, but like you say about about, about yeah, you mean it. You know, I think I think this season um, he's probably shown even more consistency after a good start to, to last season. I think he tailed off. But I think I think he's had a he's had a decent season. Um, what what would be your pick preferred for you back for? Because I'm interested to to find out what your thoughts in terms of what what's your preferred defensive defensive setup. I'd probably go slightly different. I think Luca Dean's a given, obviously, but then I'd probably go with Godfrey and uh, and Keane centre half, just because I think Michael Keane's more consistent than Yerry Mina, and I also think he gives you a lot more going forward, not necessarily in, in the transition or on the ball. But I think on corners and set pieces, um, he's been great for us. I I think, uh, and I think he's he's got a lot of leadership. I think he's, he's quite good with the players around him, Michael Keane, um, and I'd probably go with Coleman, right back. I think that'd be my my pick of a 
a back four as it stands. Mm. I, th- I think obviously the summer's going to be interesting in regards to the right back position. We've mentioned Max Aarons already. Um, he seems to be the big the big name mentioned. Um, do you think he's going to come in, Andy? Just off the just to take your opinion on that. Without saying too much, uh, you know, I think I think Kevin have I've, I've spoke spoke to Norwich certainly got a, I've got a price and there's, there's an idea of what it costs. I think we're doing that with other players though. I think we watched uh, Ridley Bach, who, who plays for uh, Wolfsburg and play right wing centre midfield or right back. He's a really good player. Um, we probably watched others like Emerson and Bettis, uh, Junior Sambi at Montpellier, players like that. So I think Evan will be well scouted, obviously have our options. I think Max Aaron's being English and you know his familiarity with Ben Godfrey in the Premier League, maybe he will he will be the pick, maybe. It depends on obviously the, the manager supposedly hasn't finalised the you know, he's obviously started looking at players, but I'm guessing he's still yet to find it because the season's ongoing. Managers don't always get the chance to finalise their their side of the shortlist. Obviously Evans recruitment team will will have. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I think Aaron's is a good player. He's got room to grow. Um I think, you know, obviously is he is he a Champions League level level right back eventually? Maybe. Um, I think he's got a couple of things to, to improve. He's can be quite hesitant in the final third in terms of decision making and you know, some people getting Coleman's back as he turns around the passing. Aaron's can be guilty of that. And defensively, luckily, obviously, Carlo being an Italian manager will work on that as well. But yeah, good player. I've got no problem. I've got no problem with Evan signing him. I wouldn't be spending 35 million, though. I think that'd be quite quite a bit expensive. If we get it for under 30, then yeah, all day, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see. But I mean, he, he seems to be the, the, the name, doesn't he? Getting bandied down quite, quite, uh, quite often. Um, but whether or not people would, like you say, want to pay that elevated price for an English right-back uh, instead of looking at the players that you mentioned there, Andy, instead of getting them probably for probably half the price or certainly less than what you pay for Max Aarons is, is a different matter. But that's certainly the, one of the areas that we'll, we'll surely look to improve in the, in the summer. But let's have, let's have your predictions then. Uh, tough game, as we've said. Brighton, six points above the relegation zone as things stand at the moment. Uh, Andy, what are we saying? Score prediction? I've got a horrible feeling it'll be another one-one, <laughs> which I don't think it'll, it'll, it'll impress Everton's Twitter. But there you go. Please, I'm going to give you two predictions. I think if we play with the back five, <laughs> we lose two-one. I think if we play with a four-two-three-one or a four-three-three, we get the one-nil win. I think. I'm I'm on the draw camp as well, you know. And it's uh, it seems a bit different saying that. I know it is. It is. It's just how, how we're going at the moment. I just I just can't see us win the game. And I'd love to be proven proven wrong. I really would. Hopefully, I am. But I, I was. I was. I'm going to say uh, say two all. I think. Think. Think to be a to be a couple of goals. But hopefully, hopefully, we're wrong and we and we do get the three points because they are massively needed if we want to get anywhere near uh, qualifying for for Europe next season. But that's us for this week, Andy. Many thanks for, for replacing uh, Eddie the Eagle today. <laughs> no worries, enjoy it as usual. Yeah, he'll be, he should be back next weekend as we, we look back on the, the Brighton game and also the Spurs game, which is uh, going to be happening on Friday as well. So we will catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions. One Everton podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.